we have around 55,000 employees on the platform. So it's a pretty big number. Our goal is to double that by next year. Um, so to get everyone using it, everyone learning. And today, to date, we have around 4,000 projects. So it's anything from a two-week sprint. We need you to help um, do some research on X to a six-month project. We have guidelines around, hey, you shouldn't have it exceed more than 15% of your work time, et cetera, et cetera. And then we also have around 8,000 mentors, so 4,000 pairs of mentor and matches driven by AI and, and what your priorities are. And I love this one because about three quarters of it is cross unit, so cross entity and cross border. So myself, I have six mentees, I'm, I'm totally tapped out and they're all in different countries and most of them aren't even HR. And it's been so cool for me just to get to know some other profiles around the world. Hi, I'm David Green and this is episode four of series 17 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. You just heard Tina Kaumailon, Chief Talent and Diversity Officer at Schneider Electric, talking about how they use their talent marketplace platform to not only match individuals to career opportunities, but also to mentors. Striking the right balance between being technology enabled and human centric is crucial. But at the end of the day, I think it is indeed really trying to make sure we have this high touch, high tech approach to leading and making sure while we acknowledge things are fast, things are accelerated, things are virtual, things are digital, that that human touch, that human connection and the caring element is still part and parcel of what we're trying to drive. Throughout this episode, Tina and I discuss Snyder Electric's pragmatic and applied high-tech, high-touch approach to culture and leadership transformation. We talk about how Snyder Electric is using employee voice to help build a flexible and hybrid work approach that is inclusive of everyone. We also look at how data and analytics ensures the success of Schneider Electric's unique multi-hub model. And finally, we also look at the ways in which Schneider Electric's talent marketplace model disrupts managers' understanding of work and careers and democratizes opportunities for the workforce. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Tina Kalmylon, Group Deep Talent and Diversity Officer at Schneider Electric to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Tina, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, can you provide listeners with a, a brief introduction to you and your role at Schneider Electric? Sure, and happy to be here. And thanks for inviting me, David. It's a, it's a real honor and, and pleasure to be with all of you. So with your introduction, indeed, my job is all things talent and all things diversity, equity, inclusion. It's a pretty broad remit, really fun role. And in that capacity, I'm overseeing for the group everything around talent. So talent acquisition, branding, talent management, learning, as well as the diversity, equity, inclusion, and well-being space. And I'm based in Boston, which is one of our global hubs. Yeah, we're going to talk about and we're going to talk about you've got um, four global hubs. So we will, we're going to get on to a question. Next. It's, uh, it's quite a sort of unique setup that you've got at Schneider Electric. And I think it drives a lot of things you do around talent and diversity and inclusion as well. It's, as you said, it's a, it's a big remit. Um, but I guess it's good that you're linking all the areas of, of talent together. You know, in, in, in other companies, we see it, it can be quite siloed. So you, I guess you're providing that glue that links all those those areas of talent together and underpinning it with, with diversity, inclusion, 
throughout the employee life cycle. I think, David, you're absolutely right. I think that's the strategic intent. So on good days, the synergy is beautiful, right? We think about people and leadership and talent and technology and culture all together. And indeed, there's so many synergies across those silos, if you will. And on a challenging day, it's it's a lot of different topics to juggle. But, you know, I'm an optimist and I agree. I think there's a lot of um, confluence of topics that go together under the portfolio I manage. Well, we're going to dig into some of that, some of those areas um, now, Tina. So let's get started by talking about Schneider Electric and the leadership and culture journey that you've been on over the last five years. I know you've been in, uh, you've been in the company for just over five years, I, I think. Um, can you tell us about the program, how it got started, what the main aims are, um, and in your view, what it means to be a leader in this rapidly new world that, that, that we've been kind of immersed into over the last sort of year and a half? Absolutely. So that's a great first question, quite meaty one. Um, it's definitely been on my mind, um, not only the, the five years I've been with the company, but certainly as you allude to um, in the last 18 months, this whole topic of where leadership and culture, um, not only due to the pandemic, but certainly enhanced, refined, accelerated by the pandemic is top of mind for us. So if I rewind a little bit, uh, about four or so years ago, we embarked on a very deliberate focus on culture and leadership transformation. And it sounds very high level, it sounds very kind of headliners, but the intention indeed was to say in this environment that our industry finds herself in, more agile, more digital, more disruptive, um, do we see a material shift in the way we need our culture to respond, i.e. the way we work in practical terms, and also the way we see our leaders having uh, a disproportional impact on culture, for sure, how we want them to, to drive. And we launched that four years ago with a set of initiatives, um, a mandate, etc. And I won't go into the details there. I think it's more interesting in the next chapter ahead. But the great thing is we did a deep dive survey at 2017-2018. We did the same survey just a few months ago with our top 3,000 leaders. And what we've noticed is, um, indeed, some material shift in how we see our leaders taking on their roles. We are not there yet, we are a work in progress, but some of the highlights, David, I would say is, how do we lead in a more decentralized, distributed, empowered way? And Schneider being a company of 140,000 people, you can imagine sometimes we still adhere to some pretty traditional command control ways of leading. But in the data, we see definitely a shift from the feedback from the ground up that Leaders were learning to let go, empower more, and it's anchored also in our business model, which we'll talk about in terms of multi-hub. A second material shift I would highlight, and this relates to then the next chapter, is indeed um, how we think about um, leading both with, uh, how do we say it, both with like a high touch and a high tech way. So while we are very much committed in our industry is dictated by the high tech, digital, electrification, automation, we know that in this environment, accelerated even more recently, we need to lead with care and we need to lead with more collaboration, more connection, more coaching, et cetera. Now, again, this is not a new topic, but for many of our leaders, it's maybe not part inherent in their DNA. And this was the transformation we've been on. So coming to leadership now, um, what we're trying to do is Make sure this is not just a, we try to change culture by talking about change culture. Actually, we're trying to be quite applied and pragmatic about it. At the end of the day, the tipping point is when we all start behaving differently. And we do believe there's a few 
hardwiring or anchors that we want to move forward with. Um, so one of the things we're about to launch in a week is all of our leaders getting um, spontaneous upward feedback. So this is a digital simple tool, um, but again, really saying, hey, these are the new behaviors that we've outlined when we just communicated them also this month. And we want feedback from all over, especially your direct functional project teams on how you're doing, right? And to have a very practical application around that. We also have launched for um, all our mid-level to senior leaders, digital coaching. So coaching is a broad term, but we believe that when one receives coaching, one becomes a better coach, right? And that whole feedback of continuous feedback, it's quite straightforward, but the working that muscle is something that maybe requires a nudge. So we've just um, partnered with a startup. I'm quite intrigued by it. It will be a pilot for sure, um, where we're going to have um, quite a few of our middle layer and senior leaders embarking on digital coaching. Those are just two hardwiring examples, if you will, of what we're trying to do. But at the end of the day, I think it is indeed really trying to make sure we have this high-touch, high-tech approach to leading and making sure while we acknowledge things are fast, things are accelerated, things are virtual, things are digital, that that human touch, that human connection and the caring element is still part and parcel of what we're trying to drive. And I think important that you talked a little bit about the pilot that, that, that you're doing. And I know later we're going to talk about um, your open talent market, which you know is, is probably one of the best examples that, that I've seen of a, of a talent marketplace. We'll, we'll, we'll brand them all with us. With the, cast them all with the same brand. But I think that that started as a pilot. And I think it's a really good example of, you know, in HR, we've got to be agile as well. You're talking about the company being agile. We've got to be agile as well. And sometimes that means running pilots, seeing if it works, iterating, and then uh, taking it forward. Now, I guess there's been nothing more than that um, in terms of having to be agile as in the last sort of 18 to 20 months um, with the mm -hmm. pandemic. Um, you know, and what I can really hear listening from you is that is that flexibility that that it's kind of be fitting into to leader leadership behavior in, in Schneider Electric. How does that flexibility at, at work fit into what you just outlined for leaders, and and what do employees now expect? Um, you know, now that we're sort of eighteen twenty months into the pandemic. It's another um, very hot, very germane question, and thanks for asking, David. Indeed, um, straight up to our CEO and, and Chairman John Pascal, it's been top of mind for many of us as we contemplate. And um, for us, I think we believe that um, our approach is quite pragmatic. And also we are trying to find a way or a philosophy that's universal to our countries. I know that sounds nearly impossible, but that was the spirit. So in Q4 of last year, we did an all employee global poll, really trying to understand on pragmatic terms what it means to them, how they imagine work from home, work from office, what does the concept of an office or a site even mean to them? Different terms about flexibility. In a nutshell, most, so 83% of our employees wanted that flexibility, i.e. hybrid. So we did refresh our global flexibility policy last year with a guidance around a global minimum standard of two days work from home. It doesn't mean every employee in every country has to adhere to it, but we wanted to nudge um, all of our countries to at least prepare, anticipate for that. And there was also some guidelines about, hey, let's not make this process too formulaic. You know, do you need like three layers of approval? We should make sure there's equity of making sure when people join a meeting from home or an office, there's equity of technology and how to manage the meeting, et cetera, et cetera. 
That said, we all know, and the data shows that in the external marketplace, hybrid is not so easy to implement, right, in practical terms. But strategically, philosophically, I still think it's the right thing for us. We've been also very clear, David, we are, we are not work from anywhere. So, or maybe not yet. And this is part of our business model in our point of view, meaning coexisting with flexible hybrid ways of working, we still believe in the power of face-to-face connections in our hubs and offices. And, you know, there's case by case where sometimes people have challenged, well, what difference does it make? Why can't I work from Hawaii indefinitely now? And our philosophy is, listen, at the end, there is still a unique experience of connecting, collaborating with customers and people, colleagues. And we will still maintain those offices. And we want you as best as to your ability to manage your own unique life and work and with your teams to leverage that. So those things um, we believe coexist, right? Still some face-to-face and office presence with this notion of flexible and hybrid. And I guess we're all experimenting in all our all our organizations and you know, and it, it's great that I think like a number of companies, you you actually at least you sought what what employees wanted, and then then have reflected that in in the hybrid um, kind of policy or, or or approach that you've got. I guess we're going to keep asking these questions as we go through, and you know, and and it it'll be interesting to see how employees' preferences change or may not change um, once you know maybe the once the health crisis as such has been averted and. As you said, you, you've got to you've got then then look at things. How do we make it equitable for people to join meetings virtually versus people that are in the office? And how do we make sure that our our mobility, our um, our culture, uh, you know, we're inclusive? And all these things, which of course you're looking after all of that within within Schneider Electric. And you know, for example, how does our policy help us hire and keep our great our, our best employees versus some of the comp- some of the competition so i get in some respects we're, we're almost at the start of start of all this and i know we're going to talk about it again a bit later but i know schneider electric has a as a pretty sophisticated people analytics function that's going to kind of help keep you honest i guess during during that experiment that we're going through yeah i mean i i don't think there's a magic formula but we try to be as data-based and transparent about this master experiment is the way you refer to it um and i don't think any companies really nailed it. And you also point out, and let's not forget that we're still in the midst of the pandemic, right? And, and so it's hard to also formulate policies when the reality of health and safety are still a little bit in flux. But I, I do believe as a broad principle, flexibility is, there's no going back on that. Um, and we have to, as companies, and certainly of Schneider's size and diversity, if we can't progressively move to that and be ahead of the curve, we do suffer from areas of talent attraction, um, how we do business in an agile way with customers. So we need to be quite um, advanced and constantly iterating and open-minded about that. And of course, one of the features of the pandemic is it's, it's running at different speeds in different parts of the world all the time. So, you know, in the UK, for example, you know, there's quite a lot of companies now going back to office since, since September one, two days, maybe more days a week, depending on the on the policy there. In other parts of the world, I know in the US, because of the Delta variant, you know, a lot of companies put their return to office uh, plans back on hold until till till next year. Now, what's quite unique in in Schneider, you have a, a multi hub model which you have moved to over over the years. I'd love if you could talk to that multi hub model, because um, I think what what makes it quite unique is is how your leadership team is is kind of spread around those hubs as well. It's not like you have hubs and 
one centre. It really is a is a proper four hub model, isn't it? Yeah, you are nailing all our exciting, colourful topics that I'm involved with. Um, it's perfect. So um, when I look back, and I wasn't with the company there, but 15 years ago, Schneider Electric's footprint, and I'm estimating, but we were roughly 65% turnover. Our revenues were in Western Europe, France being a heavy one. And same thing for the employee base and the leader base. About 65% were all in Western Europe. So now fast forward a decade and a half. Indeed, the multi-hub, which is really anchored around um, global city hubs and India, China, U.S. and France are the four core. We also have satellites and, and you know, unit specific hubs, but those really anchor our business footprint in terms of a very fast, agile, close to customer way of operating. And that is indeed part of Schneider's fabric and success in our business. And then also, of course, access to talents in those marketplaces and equity of opportunity, which for my DEI side is really important. And a practical an example of that, and I think the, the listeners will, will get it really quickly, is in the old days, you had to get your passport stamped. You want to become a leader of Schneider. You had to do your full due in Paris, while a beautiful city, maybe not working out for everyone. These days, if you look at, let's start with, as you point out, our executive committee, our leadership there, we really strive for, for those global teams, equal distribution across the hubs. And indeed, you see um, my boss, who is a Chinese national living in Shanghai out of one of our global hubs doing that. My peer in rewards is um, a French person living in Paris. I'm in Boston, American leading. So what I mean is we really do believe in trying to balance those key roles on a team. Um, sometimes time zones can be a little hard, right, to connect, but we still believe it's the most agile, fast way, both in terms of our market and our customers, but also how we work and in, in, in create equity of opportunity. So we do track this, David, pretty rigorously, um, our multi-hub, and we indeed look at three dimensions. We look at the rough distribution of those global leaders, um, are we evenly distributed across the regions of the world? We look at also, are we leveraging those hubs so that they are really indeed leveraging those locations that we think are most appropriate for the business? And finally, we do have some guidelines that we prioritize local and regional talents because um, common sense, when local and regional talents are in those roles and in the pipeline, you build up those marketplaces and those talents. At the same time, we always circulate and we have global mobility for internationals, but it is clear that we want to continue to build the local pipelines. So those three principles become part of our philosophy. And I know the board and our CEO and our CHRO are very committed to it. Yeah, and it's, it, 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 it is quite unique. I suppose it, it helps, that sort of model helps when you're responding to a global pandemic because you've got senior leaders that are close to the ground on, on what's happening in, in their particular geography rather than a group of leaders in the same location. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I think there's many lessons learned around like supply chain setups around the world of, of how the pandemic has, has challenged us. Um, I don't know if we have a perfect follow the sun kind of model, David, to be honest, but I do sincerely believe that in terms of responsiveness and agility and speed, and also diversity of opinion. I look at my executive committee as a benchmark, right? You have people not only in different geographies, but of course also different profiles, nationalities, experiences. And um, not to say also it's 44% women, 
you really then start to see, hey, it's not it's not so complicated. When you bring diverse profiles together, you can create some pretty cool things in addition to be agile on a local level to respond. And representative representative of your customers and your employees as well. Totally. So it's um I love the ambition. It was one of the reasons I joined Schneider, in fact. Um, the role originally, I think, was supposed to be based in Hong Kong, where my previous boss was. For my own work-life um, priorities, I wanted to remain in the U.S., in Boston, and we made that work. And so I see the power of it. I see the complexity sometimes, but I think you're right. In terms of workforce of the future and customer base and overall diversity, it's a model that we believe strongly in, and we will continue to push. So moving on to, um, I, I sort of highlighted it a little bit earlier, your open talent market, but generally within HR now, um, we see trends of more technology, more digital disruption, and more personalization with that technology as well, rather than maybe the, the one size fits all HR uh, technology and programs we've had in the past. Can you share a little bit on how Schneider is responding to this? Absolutely. And um, I know you are expert in this area, so you probably have many, many benchmarks. Um, I will start the one, and, and we've been quite active in partnering with people and telling the story in the marketplace. I think because we're generally jazzed by it and excited. And I do believe it's a it's a very progressive indicator of the future. So we, we, we branded ourselves internally open talent market. It is indeed a um, AI-driven, machine learning amplified um, technology platform with different types of um, uh, functionalities. We focus especially on um, internal projects and matching of supply and date um, demand there, internal jobs, so permanent jobs that we want to make sure we are making transparent and visible to our employees, and then um, mentoring. And then we are building out some of the functionality. The next one is is career, so really trying to look at career um, paths, what does the data tell you, Tina, you're in this role now, based on your profile and skills, what's the most likely, given the supply and demand of Schneider, what's the most likely um, career opportunities you might have, and how might you get there? Now, we've been on this journey for a couple of years. A year and a half, we went global. So we, <laughs> we went full on, we said we're in the midst of a pandemic, we have supply demand of labor needs or project needs that are unbalanced, let's try it. So we launched it globally, and today um, we have around 55,000 employees on the platform. So it's a pretty big number. Our goal is to double that by next year, um, so to get everyone using it, everyone learning. And today, to date, we have around 4,000 projects. So it's anything from a two-week sprint, we need you to help um, do some research on X, to a six-month project. We have guidelines around hey, you shouldn't have it exceed more than 15% of your work time, et cetera, et cetera. And then we also have around 8,000 mentors, so 4,000 pairs of mentor matches driven by AI and, and what your priorities are. And I love this one because about three quarters of it is cross-unit, so cross-entity and cross-border. So myself, I have six mentees. I'm, I'm totally tapped out. And they're all in different countries, and most of them aren't even HR. And it's been so cool for me just to get to know some other profiles around the world. And then we have the job matching. So it is a massive um, human experiment within Schneider. And I think it is the future of employees taking charge of their career, having more transparency instead of waiting to be tapped on the sh shoulder and saying, Tina, you're ready. And it's very data and digital driven, back to your earlier point. 
it's also comes with challenges, right? There's definitely a huge mindset challenge, right? Of, oh my gosh, it is indeed an open market. So my employee could be looking um, on their own for opportunities or projects uh, through the platform. And it also disrupts that manager defines how long you should be in a position and what's your next job, old school mentality. But I think it's all for the better. So we're still playing with that. Sometimes the matches are a little bit still off, right? Um, We have to play with the AI, but we are really excited about the platform and we think it's just a really imaginative way to think about future of work and the reality, frankly, of where employees, especially the next generation, want to go. And it's interesting because, you know, the more data ingested, then hopefully the more accurate the, the recommendations anyway. And it seems like a really nice level playing field of clearly providing benefit to to employees by allowing them to, you know, see career paths within the organization, to to get involved in projects, as you said, either be a mentor or a mentee of, of you know, a, a, with, with colleagues across the world, as the technology supports that as well. And then from an organizational perspective, you know, if you've got urgent projects that, that need to be built or you've got people maybe underutilized, for, for example, in a global pandemic, you can you redeploy them via this technology into, into other areas of the business that are maybe busy or, or seeing higher demand. So it gives you that agility and that fluidity that, you know, we wouldn't have without technology of this type because it would be very manual and, and it would probably be very location-based. So, you know, you'd probably support Absolutely. your teams in Boston, but you wouldn't necessarily get the opportunity to support your colleagues in Hong Kong as much. So, um, so yeah, it's really it's a, it's a, it's fascinating, and you can see. I read something that, that Josh Burson wrote a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago, I think, just before the the HR Technology Conference in Las Vegas, and he was saying that he's not heard anyone really have a bad word about the the, the talent marketplace or the open talent market. Yes, as you said, there are of course some challenges and challenges around mindset, and obviously the you know making sure that the, the, the recommendations are accurate. Of course, digital comes with efficiency, right? So. Um, we often use one of the data points of roughly used to take us two weeks to find, you know, open position two weeks just to gather the um, specs and spreadsheets and succession plans. It's two minutes now. So again, quality of hire is still the most important in the end, but if I go from two weeks to two minutes, that's a powerful argument for my business, right? Like, so we have to get better. And you know exactly to your point, the, once we reach a tipping point where we all have good data in, we're all really genuinely, earnestly trying to make this work. I think um, both process technology and also culture, we could, we could achieve something really interesting here at Shiner. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the MyHR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now let's go back to the conversation with Tina, where we discuss the skills and capabilities leaders need in the future. Kind of link leads into one of the other big areas that, that you're looking at, diversity and inclusion. So the problem with that tap on the, sh- the shoulder 
is how how inclusive that how how fair is that again i'm talking generally now across across organizations so in terms of the open talent market how does this tie into your your diversity equity and inclusion work you know and how is this more fluid approach more inclusive so for sure in simple terms we are trying to democratize the career opportunities and again it's first starting with transparency so we've never had a system where all jobs were posted so one of my first mandates is actually trying to get all of our leaders to be comfortable with posting a job they might say oh but i already know who's going to take it sometimes it's worth just putting it out to bid if you will and seeing maybe you get some new discovered talent that you had never heard about or new profiles and then the second thing i think is really using data, right, to create a more competitive, transparent process. Um, If the AI works right, right, it should be much more, um, it should probably be less biased than than human error, which tends to still be fraught with certain hidden biases. Now, we have to work both ends, right? In the end, it's still a human decision that decides on the talent. But I do believe the data-driven approach also brings a little bit less bias, um, more objectivity into it. So I think that's one of the levers that were always said that this is also very much a building more equitable opportunities within the company in a transparent data-based way. Yeah. And it's, as you said, and then also you've got to validate that and validate that the technology is enabling that level playing field. And I guess that's something you're probably looking at very closely. Yeah. I mean, we've also been quite careful and with this vendor and, and many of our other um, technology platforms, of course, we also know AI can be quite, inherit and have some bias. You're absolutely right. So this is something we do with stress tests and just working with the partner to make sure um, we are testing and looking at the data that we don't see material record of that. But indeed, you know, human or machine, I think both cases, we have to pay attention to that. You know, what are some of the ways, um, obviously, this is a, as you talked about, it's a bit of a mind shift, um, mindset shift, sorry, for leaders. Um, you know, and they're, they're stepping into this digital world and, and, and a lot of them not necessarily, I mean, I'm sure you're training them for it and helping them along the way. Um, you know, what are some of the, the skills that you, you, you're finding that, that leaders are needing in, in more abundance that, that, than they maybe did previously, not just because of the digital world, but maybe as employee expectations have increased, um, people are looking yeah. for a bit more flexibility, um, at, at, at work as well. And I guess we've, we've been seeing that play out in the, in the last 20 months or so. I mean, what are some of the sort of skills that you, you know, and competencies and capabilities you're looking to build in leaders around that? Yeah, so we started our conversation talking about this shift, right? And we've been terming it leadership in the next normal because the normal is is never static. Um, One of the key themes is indeed uh, what we're saying is being a coach. So coaching and feedback, very much straightforward, but how a day-to-day leader is doing that instead of tell and instruct, it's really more about facilitating coaching, listening, trying to help an individual employee continue to perform better and, and, and reach their potential. That's a very different way than some of the more, um, it's a very different way for us, um, I'd say, and definitely a in, in learning opportunity for us. The other thing I think that's also important for us is indeed back to the equity inclusion story, right? Our leaders are leading not only with more um, dispersed teams, more virtual teams, but also more diverse teams. And this um, sensitivity to different profiles, different perspectives in a virtual manner, we've had a very um, instructive and well-received training just about 
how to lead in new and smarter and more inclusive ways. And it's as pragmatic sometimes of how do you set up a meeting in Teams or Zoom or whatever have you that is truly sensitive to time zones, different learning preferences, different way now that, um, you know, using the um, some of the functionality so people can raise their hand. It is, sounds so basic, but you and I know day to day, it's not so easy. You have to build that muscle and build those habits to do that. So that's been another um, dimension in, in sort of leadership capabilities that we're really focused on. And then the last thing, if I may just add quickly, I think for us, um, we really are trying to get our leaders to be more disruptive and to do it in a faster way. So nothing unusual here, but back to just the, the, the fast pace of change for the globe, but also for our industry, just the move towards electrification and software and different ways to think about energy consumption. Our customers are no longer hiring us to make a data center more efficient. They're hiring us to build the efficiencies and to bring in the technology, but also to be more sustainable, right? So it's just a different value proposition. And not that speed or disruption will solve the whole thing, but we want our leaders to to think even more in that, okay, we got to move. It's not like listening and waiting for a customer. It's really trying to shape the the future and the market um, along with our customers and partners. Great. I mean, this is is, is good. And and you've talked about, I think you said 44% of your global executive leadership is is female. And you've gone public um, and shared a, a sustainability index for 2025. That's 50, yeah. 40, 30. That's a, work, a workforce that's 50% female, a manager population that's 40% female, and a leadership population that's 30% female. I mean, how are you planning to achieve this goal, not least <laughs> that you're already overachieving it in, in, in one area at least? This one's going to be really tough. And um, my own view and, and Schneider's view, we don't believe in quotas, just to be clear. We believe in really high ambitions. And this indeed is a high ambition. Uh, so our goal is indeed, and we've it's part of our what we call uh, Schneider Sustainability Impact. So that's an external market, externally communicated ambition up to 2025. It's audited. It's tied into the bonus, actually, our performance on the SSI for most employees. We just issued a first ever sustainability bond, by the way, that includes the 50-40-30 ambition. So I have many factors pushing um, into our nudges to get this to achieve. Now that said, it is indeed ambitious. So 50 is um, recruiting 50% gender balance. Today we're at 43, just to be transparent. So we have a ways to go. The 40 indeed is the frontline or middle level management of leaders. We want 40% women there. And then 30% is our top management. Where we will struggle and we know it is the leaky funnel, which is indeed the 40. Today, we're only at 26%. And that means um, if you just run the numbers and you calculate your attrition and the velocity by which promotions are happening, we need to dramatically shift and think about how we're going to tackle this one. And it's all down to every decision counts, right? You can do the numbers, you can do it, but every decision counts on how a leader selects the right qualified uh, merit-based employee. And hopefully we are able to change the game and the numbers for women. I don't think, um, besides, of course, part of the commitment is to have some teeth around it. So the SSI, like I said, tied to bonus, tied to bonds, et cetera, and very external. 
The other piece, of course, is all the uh, supporting mechanisms. And we know from the data, it does help when you create more flexible or you have more generous leave and you have equitable pay. All those processes programs, they materially affect um, our ability to attract and, of course, also engage and retain um, all talents, but especially women. So we will continue to push on that. One quick example, we launched our global family leave policy three years ago. At the time, it was ahead of the curve. It was leading in our industry. It was really broad. So it wasn't just on per, uh, maternity, paternity, or parental leave. It included bereavement, care, et cetera. And now we're, we know we need to refresh. We've seen the market catch up. We've seen other companies, competition or otherwise, really progress in 100% leave in all these dimensions. So that's an example where we believed what we did in, we still believe in it, but we know we have to keep iterating to keep up with uh, what, what our employees need. Um, and then the other piece is still back to the most difficult, probably mindset piece. Um, at that moment of decision, when someone's trying to select an external hire, an internal, are we making sure we're as objective, unbiased, data-driven as possible? Are we making sure people are writing job descriptions that are as universal and inclusive as possible? Are we thinking about how profiles of the past, we're an engineering company, so we love engineering degrees and 10 years engineering experience, but for some of these roles, do you have to have that degree of technical experience or expertise? Those are some practical measures, but at the point of the decision, this is when the education, training, and reminders and nudges that we're really trying to, um, to support the countries with. And I guess that's where data can come in, because whether it, if it's external hiring, you know, um, you know, a great example, you might have 50-50 people, you know, male, female applying, and then you might, there might be a point in the recruitment process that so suddenly you get a lot of, um, of, of female applicants dropping out, you know, self-dropping self out. What is that? As you said, could it be the way that an advert is worded? Could it be the way an assessment's delivered or, or, or any part of the process? And it's understanding that, isn't it? And then trying to, trying to do something about that. And then I guess that you talked about the middle layer, you know, are we actually providing equality of opportunity? Um, you know, I don't know if you you guys have um, explored with network analytics at the moment, um, but I've seen a couple of examples where because men in certain in these companies have strong networks higher up the organisation, it, it, it almost blocks uh, female uh, their female colleagues, even if they're higher performers, from 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 moving up the and they leave because typically. In some of these um, uh, examples, I've seen that the females are better networkers externally, so they're able to get mm -hmm. get jobs outside the organisation. But that doesn't solve solve your problem of trying to help, you know, the the fifty forty thirty. You're absolutely right, um, and we don't have we don't do network analysis globally. Though I love the topic, I would love to introduce that. We do do it in some of the key countries. Um, your point about the data is spot on. So um, I. Just as a transparent recent commentary, we we convened our DEI advisory board yesterday. So it's a group of internal leaders representing all different businesses, et cetera. And one of the things we looked at is indeed the recruitment side of this ambition. So the people we're bringing in, we're pretty encouraged by the percentage of women. We're not at 50% yet, but we've seen incremental steady prog uh, progress year after year. So we believe we can get to that. At the same time, um, we've also seen that with this volume of hiring, and we're in growth mode, so we are hiring, so you start to see the data come in, we 
are not perfect. We are not perfectly equitable when it comes to pay again. So while in the broad current workforce, we've really um, equalized pay equity, we haven't solved it, but we believe we are um, doing a very, very good job. But with the influx of more people joining, we see a few percentage points where there is seems to be some delta between what we're hiring men versus women at. And we have to then address that, right? So with the volume comes new challenges, but the data was super telling, right? Um, and the board was like, oh my gosh, right? We can't just be laser focused and obsessed with just bringing women in the door. You've got to do it with the right support, with the right pay, with the right career conversations. It's, it's a whole network or ecosystem of, of a strategy versus just a tactic. Exactly right. And it's interesting, actually, it leads to a penultimate question. You know, we, in all the areas that we've talked about, data is playing a key role, um, it, it seems, in helping guide decision making and, and maybe putting insights at, at senior level and thinking, OK, wow. We, we, we know we've got to do something or we're doing something well, because it can be both, of course. You know, what, what is the role of, of people analytics um, within within Schneider Electric, you know, whether it's linked to, to DEI or whether it's linked to some of the other stuff that, that the work that you're doing? So people analytics plays an incredibly important role in our company. And we've made, I have to say, great strides in the last couple of years, but also admittedly, I, I think we can all acknowledge it's a work in progress. Um, one of the things that indeed we've counted on them as partners is you alluded to it earlier in a big company like ours. Um, the best way for us is to move fast, move with pilots, use agile and get kind of proof cases or proof of concepts at country level. Then if it's a beautiful story, we can scale and we think about whether it's applicable global. Now, that's just more the how, but very much with our people analytics friends. Um, we count a lot on the whole suite of AI experiments. So whether it's a chatbot or NLP or just interesting analytics, this is the mechanism in the sprint that at least at Schneider, we need to go to. Open Talent Market started that way. What we're trying to do with digital talent and skills, which is another project uh, for another discussion, is all about small experiment experimentation with the 20 most critical um, digital roles that we see for our future. So we count on people analytics not just to provide the flat data, but to have the mechanisms of the, the AI to really much help us. The second quick thing I think is definitely um, around overall employee experience. Um, overall, um, we're really trying to build a more cohesive, cloud-based, um, integrated way to think about experience. But beyond employee experience, I think also like thinking about um, you know, a system of smart data, intelligence, how we integrate that, um, both from the user experience, but also how data continues to feed into it. That's something we are just about to launch wave two on, um, and pretty big ambitions next year for uh, an overall enhancement to how we interact with employees on all topics, right, with a strong foundation of data and AI. Right. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that then when you launch it. So, so last, last question, this is one we're asking everyone on this series, um, and you've touched on this a little bit, so you might even want to sort of summarize some of, some of the words that you've already said. How can HR help the business identify the critical skills for the future? So I think it's, um, it's I almost feel like HR in general is a little bit behind because the market um, dynamics and the speed is already dictating that already. Um, 
So that's one thing we are acknowledging that we need to be a little bit faster, more agile and anticipatory with data to think about that. I guess my simple answer, David, is focus. And what I mean by that is I think the days of old, we were trying to do master capital um, S strategic workforce planning and trying to capture everything. And I don't think the environment, because it's always changing, it's so fast, we have learned to be much more laser, laser focused. So indeed, I mentioned the digital roles. Everyone's recruiting for digital. The market is hot. You know, retention is challenging. And we have, through data, aggregated the current, but more importantly, the forecasted critical roles that we see, regardless of what unit or entity or geography, what is that pool that we want to focus on? So we will do a rapid POC in the next six months. Our CEO is mandating and funding and supporting this. And it's nothing fancy, but the idea is really working with the business on, are these the roles? And then using external data to flesh on a granular level, what are the key skills? What's the marketplace tell us? What's the pay um, competitive landscape? And all the way down to career and training and upskilling for those roles. And that's something we just kicked off in October. And we have very clear commitments that we have to have some results by early next year. But that proof of concept will be an interesting way that gives us a snapshot on the most critical roles for business and what they need in there. And as you said, it's that focus, isn't it? Let's identify the, the 20 key roles and let's literally focus our efforts on that, on that rather than trying to be too broad and trying to pick, pick everything off. Yeah, we're trying to get away from a a perfect academic exercise, if you will, a little more agile. And I, of course, it has to be automated. Um, I really don't want to hand around spreadsheets. So we're also thinking about ways to leverage the open talent market, right? Because at a granular level, you can declare skills, you can see future skills. So that red thread, if we can connect it to the technology platform, to the business skills needs, we could do something pretty interesting in that space. Well, Tina, it's been wonderful speaking to you and learning about the great work that you're you're leading at Schneider Electric, understanding how the, the hub model works and, and even hearing about some of the pilots that you've just kicked off as well. Um, so thank you for being a guest on the on the podcast. Can you can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you and, and follow you on social media? LinkedIn. <laughs> so um, it's probably the easiest mechanism. Um, we are quite active users like many of you, and of course. I'm happy to make a connection. Um, look me up at Tina Cow Mylon. Uh, we're always wanting to learn from other colleagues and, and practitioners in this space, David. So I welcome the inquiries. That's great. Well, Tina, thanks very much for being on the show. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's been great learning from you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Next week is the final episode of Series 17, and we'll be speaking to April Rinney, change expert and author of Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.